Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Welcome, everybody, to the Spirited Advocate Podcast. And we've got some special guests here today with us. I'm honored to introduce uh, the superintendent of the Ohio uh, Division of Liquor Control, uh, Mr. Jim Canepa. And we also have... In the uh, house. In the house. In the house. Thank you, Jim. And we also have uh, David Warner, uh, Vice President of State Government Relations for the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. David's been with Discus for about 20 years. He's been on the front lines. Uh, he's got a lot of scars on him. He's got a funny accent because he's from uh, uh, North Northeast America. He's Boston. a Patriots fan. Boston. Boston. Exactly. So we're, we're happy to have David as well because David has worked with, with Jim uh, for quite a while. And uh, we're really, really happy to have you here, Jim. So thank you very much. You uh, didn't tell me that Wonar was going to be with us, though. That may have changed my top plan. Secret. Top secret. David, why don't you tell, why don't you t- uh, tell, tell everybody how you first got to meet Jim under some extraordinary circumstances. And for all of our listeners, hope you know, uh, Jim, uh, he's a lawyer by background, uh, but he has really garnered a reputation of, of somebody that's can do and can fix it. He has got a unique uh, business mindset as he fulfills his great responsibilities uh, uh, with the state of Ohio. Uh, but he's certainly very, very mindful in the needs of the supplier tier, uh, the importance of uh, promoting and selling distilled spirits in a very, very responsible way. So, David, over to you. Why don't you just tell us about how you first met Jim and uh, tell us about that. And uh, over to you, David. Great. Well, thanks, Chris and Jim. Good to see you and good to see you, Chris, with that introduction. I, I didn't realize it was a roast. Not a podcast. <laughs> um, glad to be here, nonetheless. And um, it, I, I recall it was a a romantic evening, and we were sitting by the beach, uh, telling each other about our astrological signs. Wasn't that how we started it? <laughs> Somewhat. Um, we were trying to figure out uh, something that was probably as uh, difficult as that. You know, <laughs> uh, just to set the stage is that uh, we were on the heels of. Um, somewhat of a tumultuous relationship between industry and uh, the Ohio Liquor Division. Um, Discus member companies were owed on the aggregate of $15 million um, in back payments. And we were trying to figure out how we might be able to work through that. Uh, Ohio was going through a change in leadership and Jim was, was appointed and uh, just by happenstance and somewhat uh, sometimes in this business, it's better to be lucky than good. Um, uh, some folks that we had on the ground helping us out, I had a previous existing relationship with Jim. And that was, uh, I think, very helpful initially to at least break the ice. And um, you know, I guess the other part of being lucky is that uh, I'm married to a woman from Ohio. So I had a little bit of experience in how best to communicate uh, with uh people from the Buckeye State and Midwesterners. Um, but what was interesting is that- It's a whole different language. You, you mentioned my Massachusetts and Boston accent is that when I got on the phone with Jim, he sounded more Boston than he did Midwest. And I said, you know, I think we're going to get along pretty well. <laughs> with that said, that was sort of how things 
uh, evolved, I think, between Discus and Jim. Uh, it was a real game changer, I think, for the industry. Um, so, Jim, after that initial intro and you inheriting that problem, I guess the question is what was going through your mind at that time and how you were going to sort of establish your credibility with the industry while also um, carrying out the mission of the governor in Jobs, Ohio. I think that was a pretty interesting dynamic. Um, you know, so after I got past, you know, one hour, like, putting his finger in my chest like you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that or else i'm coming in from boston after we got past all that then so rude so rude uh, you know and then you know of course he had he had to tell me about his you know stupid celtics because the Cavs and the celtics were like locked in (laughs) in the playoffs but anyway um you know like anything else in the post-mortem like had I known like what I was being thrown into, I may have like opted out of it. Um, but at the time the, the, you know, the then governor uh, Kasich, um, his administration asked me to look into something, you know, informally really. Um, you know, my background uh, uh, was a uh, county prosecutor doing homicide cases and, and uh, inspector general investigating you know, fraud, waste, and abuse. And they're like, hey, you know, leave your day job. Um, and at the time, I was the assistant director at the Ohio EPA. Leave your day job. We just need you for like six weeks. Go in and see what the issues are with this uh, liquor division and what's going on with this inventory control system. And I'm like, all right. So I went and poked around and started asking questions. and. And people started quitting <laughs> after That's I was at sign. Yeah. People started quitting. And, um, my predecessor, um, I was trying to help him, um, move the ball forward. Um, and very night in my, in my head, I was very focused in on fixing the inventory control piece. Um, I was really unaware of the, the depths of the stakeholder involvement, the stakeholder pain, the um, frustration, the pent up. Fr- I, I didn't know about money owed. I didn't know about any of that. All I needed, all I was trying to do is, you know, make sure that the, you know, the bottle and the barcode scanned at the point of sale and registered as a, as a depletion um, at our liquor agency stores. And that process of inventory management was just tanking, just tanking. And so I looked into it. And like I said, people started quitting. My counterpart, I tried to help, help move the ball forward. Um, and, you know, it was an exercise in crisis chaos management. And, you know, and that's what it was, is crisis management. And, you know, from my EPA perspective, every week is a crisis, you know, there's poison in a well, there's something released in the air, you know, um, you know, there's always a crisis where health and human safety is involved. And so I just treated this like a, like crisis management and literally had a conference call at nine o'clock, a conference call at five o'clock to make sure, um, we were 
problem solving as the problems arose, that we had the right resources and people, um, technical people, lawyers, uh, communications people, um, because there were so many, there were so many hands in the, in the pot um, that I like to say this at the beginning of a big, cool, um, expensive initiative, everybody wants to be the boss, right? Everybody wants to be part of this cool um, technology advancement engagement until it starts doing this. Yeah. Right. And then what happens? Yeah. Everybody's like, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's that bit, bop, bit, boop. And the governor's office really just said, you know, I remember the day I was there, there was a whiteboard and they said the technology, the staff, the, you know, the people, the vendors, the contracts, they big circle around it. There are no, there are no, uh, uh, silos. You are managing it all. And I'm like, all right. You know, so my counterpart, um, you know, I don't blame him. It was a daunting task. He, he resigned and then they asked me to step in as uh, a temporary acting uh, just to get the job done. I still had an office set up somewhere else. And really what it came down to, Chris, was, and, and David, it came down to one person being the driver, one person being the throat to choke, the one person being accountable to moving the ball forward instead of multiple people um, having plausible deniability as to why things weren't happening. You know, so I was having adult conversations with Microsoft. I was having adult conversations with Hewlett Packard. I was having adult conversations with the vendor that integrates the, the cash registers, you know, basically saying, look, all the major newspapers in Ohio, companies like Diageo, Beam, Zazerac, um, you know, national associations like Discus are watching like our every move. And like, do you want to be on the front page above the fold as the reason why we're not moving forward? And guess what? Suddenly deadlines are getting met. Suddenly we started getting some traction and some wins and we started moving it forward. Um, but I also, I think besides like holding people accountable and being the one throat to choke, um, to communicate in real time, to problem solve in real time was I actually engaged with stakeholders, the users, the participants, you know, so David, um, like he says, he had an inroad because I um, had a relationship with some folks that I used to work with at the attorney general's office. And he flew in, we met, and like, it was like talking to one of my fraternity brothers. I mean, we just, we laid the cards on the table. These are the problems. These are the issues. And I, like, I didn't have a checklist from an industry perspective. You know, I didn't right. have like what your issues were. I just had like what my governor and my administration was telling me to accomplish, which was get this inventory control system up and running and working. That was, that was my sole focus. And when I met David, he was like, it's this, it's this, it's this. And, and by the way, we're owed 50 million and I'm this and then what, what? <laughs> 
And so, um, so I drew David in, I drew the Ohio Spirits Association in, I drew in um, some of the broker community in, and I'm like, give me your punch list. Like, I, like, I don't have an original idea here. I just want to fix the problems real or perceived. And that's, and that's really what my approach was, is to um, not invent uh, solutions to problems that didn't exist or we, the bureaucrat regulator, thought existed. I wanted to f- tackle the, pro- the, the problems and the issues that the stakeholder community was suffering. And I figured if I could do that, then I would get your support um, moving forward. And, and that's the way it played out. Jim, uh, navigating through a bureaucracy, obviously, clearly you had the full support of uh, Gov- Governor Kasich at the time. Is it particularly hard to navigate through a variety of bureaucracies and so forth? It, it, you know, there, it is. Um, uh, it's it's like any other big business, and you know my my wife uh, worked for AT and T. Whether you're whether you're AT and T or whether you're you know Beam Centauri or Diageo, you've got bureaucracies to to navigate. And so you know there's big pe- there's big politics and there's little politics. Um, and the, what I call in the little politics are like the office politics, the the corporate. Um, politics, the communicate and being able to figure out how to navigate that um, to not create unnecessary do loops and pitfalls and hurt feelings. And, you know, that's my cheese, you know, don't, don't move my cheese, you know, so my management style and, you know, David probably was told this before he met me in my, my personality and my management style um, are one and the same. I only have really one gear. I'm just very blunt. I'm very um, uh, uh, transparent. I will tell you what I think. You'll tell me what you'll think. We can agree to disagree. If we agree, we'll figure out a strategy forward that works. That's a win-win. You know, it's not a zero-sum game with me. I I like to um, collaborate and move the ball forward, find synergies where I can. Um, and, and 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 that, you know, not every regulator is wired that way. You know, not not every yeah. regulator is wired that way. Um, I, you know, maybe it's just an inherent laziness. I like I don't want to do extra work, so I find ways um, that make my life easier. And I, I find that collaboration is one of those ways um, uh, to to navigate. You know, where people feel like they're part of the solution and engaged in the solution and that their issues are being heard um, is I think far easier path to take for me anyway, than trying to jam some idea that I have of my own that may not work for you. Um, And and by the way, I, you know, I'm still here because the DeWine administration, very business oriented. um, They're mindful of the, that the operation um, you know, smart support, small businesses, on-premise businesses, uh, the large stakeholders like, um, uh, uh, RNDC and, and Glazers who have huge staffs here in Ohio, um, that, you know, we employ, um, warehousing, uh, small retailers who are our liquor agencies. 
Um, so it's a big, it's a big employer. It's a big uh, revenue stream for jo- for job. Imp- so they are very, very supportive and very, very innovative and very forward thinking as well. So it has really just picked up where it left off. I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. And that's why I, I still enjoy doing what I do. Hey, David, yeah, ask, ask, ask Jim about uh, the structure know-how because it's yeah. unique. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jim, you really hit on something which I thought was really crucial to where you stand now, which is when this was going on, and it wasn't just discus at the table, it was the president's forum at the time and, and NABCA and the mm-hmm. leadership there. And, you know, when you said you wanted to develop, come out with a win-win, and I think that was really set the tone for this because if you recall, we all collectively said, let's make Ohio the best turnaround story in the industry. And it was mm-hmm. so bad. And we, we kind of strategized on how we might be able to still all win, right? Jobs Ohio, the governor, uh, industry, everybody save face and do it in a manner that set the tone for future wins. Right. To- is going on you know i think we even said this is going to be a marriage not a date you know and mm-hmm. want to this um to the next level and i think you figuring out how to bring jobs ohio and industry together um and lorraine terry and the great job that she does there i think was really pivotal in the relationship and that set the foundation but you know the jobs ohio in the liquor division dynamic is not one we've seen in many states, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a very difficult um, dynamic to, over, to to manage if it's not done right, you know. And I think yep. it did. So, so um, the structure um, underneath what we call OHLQ um, in Ohio. OHLQ is our brand. Um, you know, we're trying not to be state liquor store. We're trying to be a brand. Um, we're, we're trying to uh, make OHLQ, um, a destination location for people who are interested in exploring, shopping, enjoying high proof spirits. And in order to get there, you have to understand the structure below it, which is the department or the Division of Liquor Control under the Department of Commerce, which is the statutory entity um, that forever has been in charge of operating the um, liquor business, the the merchandising, the marketing, the selling, um, all of that. Um, back in 2012, um, um, this concept called Jobs Ohio was created where they um, sold bonds and bought the 30-year the rights through a lease to the, to the profits of the liquor business. And so whether you want to call it a, um, you know, an arranged shotgun marriage between the division of liquor and Jobs Ohio to create this um, uh, agreement and partnership where the division operates the liquor business, Jobs Ohio receives the revenue and puts that revenue towards job creation and um, development, business development and uh, in Ohio um, was a novel concept and, and there were growing pains. Um, 
And, you know, if, as David says, if done right, which is where we're at in, in uh, tenfold right now, I mean, it's, it's a great synergy. It's a great collaboration. Um, and neither party wants to be, you know, take credit for being OHLQ. It's just a brand now. It's OHLQ. And underneath that is the division and Jobs Ohio. But back when David engaged, there wasn't a lot of trust around all, all around. There wasn't trust between the industry and jobs, the industry and the division to get the ball across the, the goal line. There wasn't trust between jobs and division. And so part of my like goal was to wipe the slate clean, start building some credibility with the industry, start developing relationships with Jobs Ohio. Lorraine was a big part of that, um, putting a face to the Jobs Ohio piece that would work with me directly, um, understanding the relationship um, and the roles and making sure the roles and responsibilities were very clearly delineated, um, which they weren't when I came on board. That goes back to like, if everybody's the boss, nobody's the boss. Um, so with that trust slowly being developed, we're in a place now where I believe the reason why Ohio is a leader in the control state uh, market is because of the, the, um, the agility and nimbleness that Jobs Ohio as a partner gives me. So they are able to provide me the resources as a, uh, as a um, quasi-private um, entity that I wouldn't get within my own sort of state structure. You know, so if I need to spool up to do um, a big barrel program or if I need yeah. to spool up to, to put together in what I believe is the most innovative um, uh, we call it the Liquor Enterprise Service Center, which is a, which is a, a first class um, service center for industry to, that is really like a nerve center to spool that up with resources and, and people or, or scale it down, depending on what the project is, gives me agility and, 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 a, and, a, and, and nimbleness, so to speak, that I don't think control states have. Um, and so my business model feels like an open state. It feels like um, we're a big retailer um, uh, trying to um, figure out and look at the data as to you know demand, depletions, bottle turn, shelf dollars, all those sorts of things as um, any other retailer would do. And so for me, if I make with Jobs Ohio's um, collaboration, if I can make Ohio a um, fertile marketplace for the suppliers, if they, if they see that it's not complicated or difficult um, or convoluted or bureaucratic to get their products on the shelf and sell their products and get paid, then I'm getting more of the good stuff. When? Yeah. I'm getting more of the good stuff. I'm, the customers in Ohio are, have access 
to a broader variety, uh, harder to get allocated products. The suppliers are seeing um, uh, month over month sales that are just off the charts in Ohio. I mean, the whiskey category here is just crazy. Jim, so, tell us about the barrel program. I know you've done some great work with uh, the barrel programs in Ohio. Could you tell us about that? Yep, just basically, uh, you know, fanning the flame of of the consumer who wants access to um, cool, hard to get, um, unique whiskey, right? And so it's just stealing a page out of. Um, you know, the, uh, the retailers in Kentucky who do it really well, you know, you've got, um, uh, the, you know, the, the, the big retailers in Kentucky who have these, um, programs where they, you know, people line up out the door for single barrel selections. Um, uh, you, the unique, I call them snowflake, uh, single barrels or the highly allocated, um, kind of stuff. People want that. And you have to come up with a strategy as a retailer to make that available in a way that people feel like they have a fair um, shot at getting. You know, if people feel like all the good stuff is going out the back door to the, to, from the um, liquor store to their friends and, you know, preferred customers, um, that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything to, you know, build a fan base, build a customer base. And so, you know, I, I give credit to um, uh, Mark Brown over at, uh, at Sazerac. Um, little factoid, when I came on board, and, and I'm a, actually a, a bourbon nut myself. So, like, they kind of let the fox into the chicken house on this one. But um, I wanted to know how to get more product, harder to get product into the state of Ohio. Because I consider, like, Michigan and Pennsylvania and West Virginia, um, and, and Virginia, my, my competition, they're my comps, right? So I, I don't want them to get something that I don't get and I want to get it before they get it. Yep. Right. And so I talked to Mark Brown or actually when I came on board in 2017, they shut the pappy spigot off here in Ohio. And all my friends who are other bourbon nuts were like, like they cut us off. Like, what's the story on that? So I met Mark at one of the conferences at Marco Island uh, in in their in their Sazerac Cabana. Yeah, and you know how they you know you know making the introductions like this is this is a new superintendent in Ohio and and this is Mark Brown and blah blah blah. Like the first question out of my mouth was like, Hey, hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. How do I get the spigot turned back on? And he's kind of like, Good for you. He's like, <laughs> Yeah. He's like. This guy's like a Dave, uh, a David Bonar clone. He's like in my face already. <laughs> and so uh, I said, he, he's like, well, sell it fairly. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, in Ohio, Pappy comes in, you get like, and, and this is the other thing people don't realize. I mean, the industry realizes, you know, it's, it's hundreds of bottles. It's not thousands. Sure. You know, it's hundreds of bottles to, to allocate throughout the entire state through, you know, 487 agencies. And he's like, sell it fairly. I'm like, what's that mean? He's like, in Ohio, Pappy comes in and it goes to VIPs. It goes to friends and families of the liquor agencies. He goes, that does nothing for a company 
um, build a brand, build to a build brand. a brand, yeah. to merchandise. He goes, I want to take market share from my competition. And the way I do that is that bottle is going head to head with the competition. It's not going to somebody's, you know, collection in their basement. And I'm like, what do I do? He goes, do a lottery, do raffles. The lottery was born. Check that out. So when the lottery was born and that was a process where people can sign up online through their email address, um, first name only. Um, and we validate it through the Ohio De Bureau of Motor Vehicles to make sure that they're 21 um, and an Ohio resident. Guess what we built up? A database of bourbon consumers. Lovers. Consumers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so started doing the lotteries. We build up a 100,000 person consumer database who we now communicate real time with about all of our bourbon uh, listings, all of our bourbon programs. Um, and because, it, again, it's like success uh, invites more success. Yeah. When the um, suppliers and the distillers started seeing uh, the monthly, month over month sales on American whiskey here, suddenly they're like, hey, Jim, we've got this. This this yeah. this bourbon. Hey Jim, do you want to buy barrels? And I'm like barrels. You know, I had a little checklist right from the the bourbon sure. nuts like barrel program like Kentucky. You know, highly allocated all these raffles uh, program. You know, all these things. And so um, it just it it cascades because of the of the sales uh, success because of the volume, the, the, the shelf dollar success, the bottle turn success. Literally, you know, this program here. Mark right there. Yeah. This bottle here is a single cycle. Is a single barrel program that I started. I mean, we start I started this program with Beam Centauri and they took a chance with a control state. And I took a chance that customers would actually be interested in single barrel picks that we made. And um, I remember Carlo Laparo, or uh, I mean Carlo um, Coppola. Coppola Laparo yeah. is a is a, works for the auditor's office. Coppola, he's like Jim, like this will be cool, you know. Uh, and and so he goes, you know, buy three barrels, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> like who's gonna buy these, right? And so uh, we we bought the three barrels. They were gone from the shelf people lined up around the block at the liquor agencies and they were gone in like 45 minutes all of them in 45 minutes so now fast forward two years later we bought 33 single barrels 33 uh the maker's mark honeysuckle no no okay. five different flavor profiles got it milkshake honeysuckle toffee almond um grandma's kitchen and milkshake and they're like, again, I hate the secondary market, but they're selling on the secondary market for three and $400. The demand is so crazy now for it. And so we've created this like barrel niche. Um, and now everybody, the suppliers want to get into it. I love it. The customers love it. And it's, um, it's just, it's just caused runaway uh, sales numbers. It's just, it's, it's nuts here in Ohio. So, Jim, almost you've led the division to be consumer-led. 
in every sense. And I'd like to say, you know, when the COVID crisis started, uh, great kudos to many, many of the control states have done just uh, Herculean work in keeping the business lines open and so forth and navigating all the uncertainties related to, to COVID. And no doubt Ohio, uh, under your leadership, has done, done the same. You've expanded stores since you've expanded stores since you've been there as well. Could uh, you tell us about that? Again, you know, Lonar, uh, Canapa, you're going to expand the stores. <laughs> you haven't expanded in 30 years. And I'm like, what do you mean? Tell me, I don't even know what the issue is. Tell me what the. And so, uh, and so part of the, the checklist was uh, from the supplier standpoint, you know, more points of access to the product, right? You know, so um, it was a uh, a thing that the stakeholders were interested in seeing. Um, you know, frankly, I'm not sure what the freeze on expansion of liquor agencies was. Um, it predated me. And it's sort of like, you know, um, word of mouth handed down by the tree people. Um what the origins of it were, I don't know. Um, but, you know, met with the administration, basically laid out a very granular plan for, um, again, engaged. I, I asked Discus for data. I asked uh, Diageo for data, Beam Centauri for data, and Ohio Spirits Association for data. Because everybody had done research on where the white space was in Ohio, where it would not cannibalize existing sales from, from retail agencies, um, that it would increase uh, the overall sales without cannibalizing. Everybody had their own research done. And I said, well, give it to me. And so then I took all those, overlaid them. Um, jobs, uh, uh, beverage had, had, had hired a, a um, company to do the same work so that we had our own d- data. And we overlaid it and we found like 121 locations in the state of Ohio that we called white space that were based on demographics, based on area um, uh, business growth, um, based on um, the sales data from beer and wine in those locations we knew were going to be home runs. And then we categorized them as rural, urban, um, metropolitan, because you could have a a home run hitter in a, in a metro area that's doing $10 million a year, but that doesn't mean the rural retailer who's doing 1 million isn't first class in that league. Sure. You know, so we figured out, you know, where the white space was, how to categorize them, whether it should be a box or an independent. And then I made this granular pitch to the administration and basically said, look, it's researched, there's stakeholder buy-in, um, we're gonna expand, we're gonna bid these contracts and have, have uh, a, a require a business plan from these retailers. The operator is gonna have innovative, fresh ideas that align with where I wanted to go. Um, in terms of what the look and feel and the customer experience would be in these stores. And so 
the administration was like, okay, go for it. You know, start off slow. So we were like, we're going to do five. And so we thought it was going to swamp us. We thought it was going to be like this Herculean lift because everybody had said, oh, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy. And I'm looking at other states. They're like high-fiving each other for like opening two stores. High-fiving each other. Oh, we opened three stores. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be really aggressive and open five. Right? Well, it was like, wasn't that big of a deal. And it turns out that the interest and demand to be that cool, innovative retailer that we were looking for was huge. And so it was like job interviews. We were interviewing people. They were submitting business plans with pictures of the layout, the whole deal. So we brought these new agencies on board and right from the get-go, their sales numbers were off the charts. Um, they were definitely you, you included competition in the process, which included better thinking, better innovation percolate up. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that mean old Jim Canepa did with his, you know, law and order background is stop the, you know, illegal buying and selling of liquor agency contracts in the state of Ohio. You know, it was a common practice that, you know, if you offered the right amount of money to a current liquor agency, you could buy their contract. Well, the, it, liquor agency contracts are not personal property of the sure. retailer. <laughs> yeah. The contract is with the state of Ohio and it's not for sale. Right. They're selling our products on consignment for a commission. It's not their inventory. And so they have no pro in, in fact, in the contract itself, it says they don't have a property interest in it, but they were getting away with it. And consequently, the results of that were what? Liquor agency in a bait shop. Liquor agencies in places that were making, you know, $150,000 a year in total sales. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. No, that's not what we want. We want that. We want to steal a page out of the you know, the wine and craft beer sections that you walk into where you're like, Ooh, this is cool. I, like, wow, I gotta be, I gotta try some of this. Right. And experience consumer and experience. experience. Right. And so that's what we brought on board. And those first five are, were our flagships. And then here's something we, here was an unintended byproduct of this. As soon as the existing agencies saw the immediate spike in sales and interest in sh and demand in those new agencies, guess what they wanted to do? They wanted to rebrand their existing agencies. And so there was born OHLQ. And so with Jobs Ohio's support and resources, we've got you know, an art department, we've got a branding department, we've got, you know, signage department, creative people who like come up with beautiful uh, um, online presence, um, in-store presence. Um, and so now people are in line wanting to rebrand their stores and they're rebranding their stores and they're seeing immediate spikes in sales. So back to the five, I'm like, well, that worked out well. Let's try 30. Let's try 30 by the end of 2018. Um, and we met that uh, goal. And by closing ones 
that weren't meeting performance goals and opening new ones, we netted 30 new agency stores, which are all home run hitters. And congratulations. Yeah, they're all our flagship stores and the existing agencies want to be like Mike. Absolutely. David, uh, dialogue with the member companies at Discus and the industry is important. Can you tell about that process and why that's important? That allows you to, to, to collaborate with Jim and his team on uh, issues of concern? That's a great question, Chris. And I think one of the things that's been really useful with an organization like NABCA is it's, it brings Discus member companies and non-Discus member companies together um, and we've really established a great rapport and our membership gives us you know the, the state government relations team sort of the, the glide path on how to move forward so one of you know for instance uh, more stores um, you know we view that more stores as a way obviously to serve the consumer but the other component to that is if you're generating revenue in a consumer friendly way you don't have to rely on the old dirty playbook of increasing bailment fees or going up on a markup. You're able to raise the same amount of revenue without causing any friction uh, within the industry. And that's why that, you know, more stores was an important piece to the Ohio warehouse puzzle. And, um, but, you know, we get our clear direction from our membership, um, but also with checks and balances, you know, uh, every state is different. Every political situation in the state is different. The dynamics in Ohio and the timing may be ripe to, for more stores. In some states, that's not the case. Um, and we've got to make a judgment call based on, you know, the holistic relationship as to how hard we push or, um, you know, do we go in another direction? And I think, you know, Ohio is a, a great case study for that. Well, what's amazing about it in the real theme here is being consumer led, right? If you're focused on the consumer and certainly, uh, uh, you know, the supplier tier is certainly focused on the consumer with our brokers uh, and with uh, a division of liquor control and under Jim's leadership, it's really, really made uh, a great difference. Okay. So let's pivot to a little bit of a lightning round. Uh, Jim Canepa, you're a Cavaliers fan. I'm a Michael Jordan fan. When Michael Jordan hit that shot over Craig oh. Lowe, oh, come on. I shouldn't have brought it up. But I did watch uh, uh, the, the big documentary a couple weeks ago. Uh, what You referred to Boston and Cleveland going after it. Was that during the Paul Pierce era, David Warner, or was that during LeBron taking it that home? Was, uh, that, I think we watched that one. Uh, you know, Towards the end, but it was more when Kyrie became a Celtic. Yeah, uh, there you go. No, no, it, it was uh, LeBron, Kyrie for the Cavs, and That's you right. had uh, um, Junior uh, as your point guard. Uh, Rondo? No, you had Rondo, but you had the, li <laughs> the little short dude who was all heart. And, and oh, was, Isaiah Thomas. You had Isaiah Thomas, who was injury prone. Um, but anyways, I want, before, before we go to the lightning round, Chris, I got to tell this one, one quick story. So I'm brand new on the job and a couple we very weird things happened. Um, Jim Squeal from NABCA, like makes an appointment. I don't know NABCA from. <laughs> Didn't even know, right. I don't know. I, I don't know what that even means. Right. And so like Jim, this Jim Squeal guy from NABCA 
wants to fly in to meet with me. And I'm like, all right. So he flies in and he, you know, Jim, he's very like kind of buttoned up buttoned and, up, and like very careful with his words. And basically was trying to tell me that like Ohio sucks really bad right now. <laughs> in a nice sort of way. In a nicest yeah. Jim Squeal way. Like Ohio is really messed up and <laughs> I've got, suppliers on my back uh, and like can you please hurry up and fix this was like the please. summons and i and i was like i was like wow like i knew what like the governor's office needed me to do but like i had like now here's this external force nat- national thing so so then the next uh, I'm, I'm, they're like, and you got to come, you know, you, Ohio doesn't attend any of the NAPCA meetings. And I'm like, well, what's a NAPCA meeting? He goes, where well, that's where you get to meet, you meet the suppliers and the stakeholders and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, well, so I jump, I'm on the plane heading to the NAPCA meeting and I'm reviewing my packet for IAC nominations. Yep. Industry affairs committee. Yeah. And uh, I have to pick industry people and they've submit each one of has submitted like their proposal, why they should be picked. And I'm and like, I, again, like it's all new for me. I'm a, a board member, a de facto board member because I'm one of the control state and I have to pick. And I remember reading on the plane, like, and I won't mention which ones, but it was more than a half a dozen that in their proposal said, we want to be on the IAC to do all we can to prevent other controls states becoming like Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a sign. That's a telltale sign. I'm like, like unbeknownst to me, like I'm the, the, uh, you know, dumpster fire story (laughs) on, on, and then I'm looking at the, the industry magazines. Um, on the way, on the way, the way there too. And like, we're like, they're talking about Ohio being a big mess in these industry magazines. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like people magazine. I'm on the cover of people <laughs> magazine at the grocery store checkout about how terrible we are. And like, you talk about like, what am I flying into? Sure. Because they had booked a meeting with me, with the IAC on one of those days. <laughs> Oh, so they were coming after you. Yeah. And like, uh, have a dialogue. And so, uh, it was just what, like having like a, just a ton of bricks dropped on your head on the plane ride to meet these people. And I was like, wow. Like, like I don't, and I'm positive that nobody within state government had any perspective in how much pain the industry was in. None. None. Every it was like everybody knew that there was a problem, except the problem. Sure, absolutely. And so I'm, and and I will say to to their credit, they were so the the IAC at the time, they were so generous and kind. When like in hindsight, like I I can't imagine how mad they were uh, about how bad it was, and they were kind and generous and thoughtful. And again, really were like anything you need to help because they were already starting to get um, good indications that it was heading in the right direction. Sure. Well, that just underscores the importance where industry and the control states of dialogue 
And it always comes down to people when it's all said and done in forging trust. And uh, uh, Discus certainly has always appreciated the dialogue with Jim Squeo and his team at NABCA. And, you know, every once in a while, uh, when you work with the control state model, you're going to run into some challenges. And those control state models run into some challenges, you know, in their respective states, whether it's the politics of, of the time and so forth. And uh, what has happened in Ohio under your leadership, Jim, uh, is, is really extraordinary. And it's really a poster child of uh, what and could uh, should be happening in states all around the country. So well, we, went from, we went from dumpster fire cover <laughs> to stateways cover, right? As exactly. the best of the best, right? So we're like, exactly. But I, I, yeah. I also want to say, just to your point, um, you know, a, a, again, sort of a mind-blowing perspective is you know discus like this the control states and all states should have really a responsibility to sell liquor responsibly yep um and you know responsibility.org and discus approached us and i feel honored about that and humbled because i think and you can correct me if i'm wrong but you felt like you had a willing and open potential partner as an op- as a control state to try a new experience, absolutely. Um, and you know, I-, I can proudly say that I think it's 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 going great. Um, We're off and running. Yep. Yeah, and you just invested some resources, dedicated people uh, on the social responsibility programming, and uh, responsibility.org is very very proud to work. Uh, with your team, and because obviously, anytime you sell and distribute uh, beverage alcohol, responsibility and high standards of responsibility, how it's sold, and how consumers uh, recognize and appreciate that, we all have a role in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, responsibility.org and Discus really appreciates that partnership as well. So, you like bourbon. How best do you like your bourbon? Do you like it neat? On the rocks. I, I, I like bourbon flavored bourbon with nothing interfering with it. Straight up, straight up. In the Glencairn or in a nice rock glass, neat. I want awesome. to. I want to taste my whiskey. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bourbon man. How about you, David? I'm a bourbon guy these days, but I'm going to transition to the gin and tonics for the summertime. You know? Oh, very good, very good. Jim, I do Maybe. have a question for you. Jim, who is the, what's the best professional football team in Ohio? The Buckeyes, the Browns, or the Bengals? Who, who wins in a game, in a, in a three-team uh, playoff? The Ohio State Buckeyes. Great question. Ohio State demolishes the best of both those teams in one place. I mean, the Ezekiel Elliott. Right. Yeah. The, 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 I, I can't, they're unwatchable. I can't watch pro teams. Like I stopped watching pro football because of those teams in Ohio. You know, when, when the Browns went to Baltimore, I, I, you know, at least they were exciting to watch as the cardiac kids. But when they, they since they've been back, nope, they're not going to break my heart again. I don't watch them. Nope. It's all Buckeyes, all Buckeyes, right? All Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, uh, if you could have a cocktail with anybody, uh, someone famous, uh, dead or alive, who would who would that person be? I would, would love, be I would love to have a cocktail with um, like Eric Clapton 
I would love to have a a cocktail with like um BB King or you know or Marlon Brando. Like you know what I mean? Like those are That'd be fun. Uh, Frank Sinatra. That'd be like, fun. I wanna, the rat I have, pack. I wanna have a Jack Daniels with Frank Sinatra in the bar at the casino after the show. Good stuff. David, you got a, you got a pick? Well, I just David? want to make an observation. It was a drink with one person and Jim has got her <laughs> rounding up a, a whole posse. He's like, Hey, I'm Jim. Well, it's like you put them all, you said one person. So I blind them all up and now I got to pick the one. Okay. Well, who, give it to us. It would be, it would be Sinatra after the Rat Pack show at the, uh, at, at the casino. Very, very good. Hotel very lounge. Good. Very good. No doubt about it. David, who do you got? Tom Brady? Talking Tom Brady? Sports. My idol is a kid, Larry Joe Bird. Oh, there you go. There you go. I like that one. Okay. I like that one. Uh, I, I, take him as, I take him as a beer drinker, though. Yeah, you never know. He may be. He may be. So, Jim, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council, David and I, really, uh, and all the member companies of Discus, really just want to thank you and responsibility. Where's my my glass? Here, let me find one. Hold on. Don't drink it out of the bottle. Hold hold that thought. (laughs) No, it's coming out of the bottle because I don't have a glass. That's okay. Sip, sip. All responsibility, of course. Cheers. So, all right, cheers. cheers. On behalf of Discus and everybody, thank you for your leadership. We hope you're staying safe and healthy in these extraordinary times. And uh, on behalf of everybody, uh, you are great to work with, honorable, and focused on the business. And we, we, on behalf of all of us, we appreciate the collaboration. Cheers. I appreciate cheers. you guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for the, thank, you. thank you for the invite. You got it. Thank you. The Spirited Advocate Podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.